Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for the uh, welcome, Jean-Marc. And yes, just as uh, everybody said, big happy birthday to you. Don't worry, we'll, we'll address that properly after the service. But uh, happy birthday once again. Uh, welcome, everyone, um, to all our guests and our visitors, all my family, uh, Medway family, and also my immediate family. So any Shirley, Sandy, my mom, you guys, you're not uh, guests. You, you, are, you are now members of the church, so welcome once again. Welcome to Balf, Avinda, wonderful to see you. Um, and to all our usual guests, it's great to see you and also happy new year again. I know that obviously we had a service last week where Lynette shared, um, but for me, um, to wish you a happy new year. Um, it has been a very interesting 2020 as we know, but um, it's always good to be thankful when we've ended a year and coming to a new year. Well, obviously, we know 2020 has been a very unique year, but let's give thanks that God has brought us into 2021. And I want, really want us to really commit this year into God's hands in terms of everything that God desires to do in your life, in us as a church, that uh, God's kingdom will be established. And it's part of what I want to share today is about the kingdom of God. Um, so with that in mind, I want us to pray. Um, just ask the Lord to really use me to really speak his word this morning. So let's just pray right now. Father, we just want to thank you for the privilege and for the honor that we have, oh God, of sharing your word. Father, I pray, oh God, that Lord, that you will use me to minister and to speak your word, oh God, to touch all those who are hearing it. Father God, use me as your mouthpiece. Lord, as your word comes, I pray, prepare our hearts to receive your word and draw us closer to you to advance your kingdom. So we give you thanks and we give you praise. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Also, I want to thank uh, Peter for leading prayer this morning, uh, for Julianne and Joe for the wonderful time of worship, uh, Ozzy for communion, uh, and obviously, as I said, Jean-Marc uh, for um, the coordination. Uh, and I said, at the end, we'll touch base properly. Um, so yeah, so again, welcome to everybody. So the, what I want to share this morning, um, the title is called Living a Kingdom Lifestyle. Living a Kingdom lifestyle um now the kingdom of god anything to do with kingdom <clears throat> that's written in the bible to me it's one of those things that um can be a bit difficult to explain i know we've spoken about the kingdom of god before um but generally speaking when you mention the kingdom of god and i don't know about you but a definition or just speaking people to people generally it's hard to define what it is or to explain what it is, even though it's written about so often in the Bible, but there isn't a, a definition as such, but there are ex explanations of how, or, or parables as to, as to how the kingdom of God is. And I'll speak about those in, in a moment. But the children of God, um, our lifestyle, how we live, how we demonstrate our lives and how we live our lives should demonstrate or reflect the things that show God's kingdom. So what do I mean by that? So by way of reminder, let me explain or define God's kingdom. God's kingdom is simply the rule of Jesus Christ on earth. That's God's kingdom. <clears throat> Where we show that God's rulership comes first, that the things of God are, are ruling in our lives, that is the kingdom of God. It also can be defined as the blessings and advantages that flow from living under Christ's rule. 
So when we demonstrate living the things of God first, when we demonstrate that God and the things of God rule in our lives, that those things are priority in our lives, that is the kingdom of God. That is showing that the kingdom of God is evident in our lives. And that's, that's, simply, that's simply what it is. But it is defined in a sense in the Bible, the kingdom of God, and it's in Luke chapter 13, from verse 18 to 19. And it says this, then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? And he said, what shall I compare it to? He said, it is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree and the birds perched on its branches. See, the kingdom of God, it seems how can I say, it seems insignificant, like a mustard seed. And it's interesting the Bible uses a mustard seed to compare to the kingdom of God. Because compared to other seeds, a mustard seed doesn't appear to be significant. It doesn't appear to have any worth or such um, in relation or in comparison to other seeds. And in relation to your life, it would appear that a mustard seed, let's say that your life is like the mustard seed. Something in your, in your life that, let's say, that looks small and insignificant, you wouldn't give much regard to. But see, the mustard seed represents our faith as well. The Bible talks about having a faith, the faith the size of a mustard seed. So there's a connection with mustard seed in relation to faith. But in this scripture, it also represents something that appears, as I said before, something that appears to be worthless, it seems to be a waste of time, it appears that it has no lasting benefit. But the Bible says that the man planted the seed in his garden, and the garden represents something personal, the man's personal life. So the man planted this seed in his garden. And again, we can assume that uh, previously that this man had planted other seeds, let's say, that were maybe bigger, and that appeared more significant than the mustard seed. But when he sowed in his garden, he did so in faith and he sowed it trusting God. And likewise, when we, or when you rather, put your faith in the kingdom of God and in the rule of God by sowing, or in real terms, by living the benefits and the blessings that flow from the kingdom of God are far beyond your life and far beyond expectations because they touch people and things around you just like a tree touches things in the scripture you know it's interesting that the bible talks about when you when the, uh, the mustard seed is sown that it grows into a tree that the birds uh, um, perch on because without trees we will struggle to breathe many things that trees bring they bring protection they bring shelter and they also produce oxygen. And the Bible says that when you sow a mustard seed, it grows into a tree. You know, and by living and embracing God's kingdom, one of the things that we receive is that we receive spiritual breath. Oxygen sustains us. If we don't have oxygen, we won't be able to, to, to live. But by sowing or living God's kingdom, what that does to us as children of God is that it helps to sustain us spiritually 
it also brings us protection from the plans of the enemy. Right now, if the enemy could, he would take you out. If God gave him, uh, gave, gave the enemy permission to do so, right now he would, we would not be living. Because of the kingdom of God and what it represents, it brings protection. Also, we are sheltered. Uh, a tree brings shelter. And also the kingdom of God brings an element of shelter. Uh, shelter from the deception of this world. It's interesting um, the way that the world that we live in works. Because one of the enemy's main plans or, or, or schemes is to bring deception to you. Making you think that something is when it isn't. Or making you think that something that isn't when it is. So, for example, let's say that, uh, you know, in, in your life that you put your confidence, let's say, in your, in your finances, in your money, uh, which a lot of people do. And by having total confidence or, or, or faith in your finances, when your finances disappear, because the bottom line is that money represents a way in order for you to gain uh, things. But one day money will not have any value going forward because the way that the world is, something else could have more value. But if we put all our confidence in money and the money disappears, what happens to that person? So that's the deception of this world. But God wants us looking at the kingdom of God and to prioritize the things of his kingdom. The Bible says that obviously that we are in the world, but we are not of the world. So yes, we, we live in a world where we need to operate and have an element of finance in order to function. We live in a world where we need to, uh, um, um, you know, we need to have shelter. We need to, um, to have, you know, the necessities of life around us to function. But the priority in order for us to function on the day to day is the kingdom of God. Living the kingdom of God, demonstrating that God's rule but the things of God come first in our lives. As we do so, everything else that God wants to give to us, to help us in our lives, he will bring those things. But the priority is God's kingdom. So let me say this, it is simply not possible, it's impossible to embrace and live God's kingdom and not reap rewards for doing so. God will ensure that you are rewarded for living and for prioritizing his kingdom. So living the kingdom lifestyle, that's what we're talking about. So living the kingdom lifestyle, it involves embracing and demonstrating God's rule in your life. As I said before, in other words, you are putting the things of God first. Matthew chapter 6, 33, if the scripture that underpins all that I've just said. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added. This is God's word, that we should seek the kingdom of God first and everything else that we're believing in for will be added. Now, one of the things I have to say that I, I do sympathize with when it comes to um, our, our brothers and sisters, our, our Christians around the world, is that those who struggle to distinguish between what is kingdom lifestyle from the lifestyle of the world. You know, sometimes you can maybe watch something on TV 
and um, you know, there's some American sitcoms that, I, that I've watched um, over the years or so, and they involve uh, Christians. Sometimes the culture, the way that they're, they're living, uh, uh, I'm talking about the, the people in the, in the American sitcoms that are supposed to be Christians, the way that they live at times when they depict them. Did I not? Okay, thank you. Yeah, I've said some American sitcoms. There doesn't seem to be a distinction between how they live as Christians and how they live in the world. There seems to be like almost like a, 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 a a, uh, a connection between the two, when in reality they, there's a clear difference. If the world lies about something, in these type of sitcoms I'm talking about, then Christians will also also lie. If the world steals, then these programs are then Christians will also steal. So we have to be a lot more careful than ever in what we say. As children of God now, because it appears that when we speak now that we may be mar marginalized or we may be deemed as inciting hate or division. So nowadays as a Christian, what you say is really looked at and scrutinized. Because even though it's the word of God that we may be speaking, because society has moved on, society now is in a different place. When we speak something that's scripture, something that is based on the word of God, the world may turn around and say, now you're, you're being divisive. You are now spreading hate. But merely we're speaking the word of God. And it's, and it's important that as children of God that we are deliberate to live and to speak and declare the things that represent God's kingdom. So that the world is very clear that we are children of God. I said we are in the world, we're not of the world. And as God's children, there needs to be a distinguishable difference between how the world is and how we as children of God are. Now, let me ask you this question. When was the last time that you told someone that, uh, that they're a sinner in God's eyes and that they need to repent? And I'm asking, I'm saying that to myself also. The last time that you said to somebody, listen, as far as God is concerned about him, and because of the way that you're living, you are a sinner in God's eyes. You, know, you need to repent, you need to acknowledge that what you are doing and how you are living is sinful. And you need to confess the Lord as uh, uh, confess the Lord and believe that He died on the cross and rose again. When was the last time that we spoke in that way to somebody? You know, we're now in 2021. It's almost as though if you do that now, that uh, you'll be lab labelled again as being, you know, some kind of religious freak, or as being legalistic or outdated, or you know, something on those lines. So nowadays, I guess as a, what we tend to do, I don't know whether you do this or people around you do this, but what we tend to do <clears throat> is rather than being uh, deliberate to say that we need to repent if you're speaking to somebody who's not saved. Instead, we say to them that, you know, just make sure that you're, you tell them about, you know, when you live your life, be happy or be nice. You know, make sure that you're looking after yourself. These are the things that we say in the name of, you know, trying to encourage somebody to, to be saved. 
But these things, it's not in the Bible. The Bible doesn't speak about us telling somebody to be happy. And then by, by being happy, they, they enter into relationship with Jesus. Bible says that without people, they need to repent of their sins. They need to acknowledge that they've sinned. The Holy Spirit is the only one that can, can convict somebody of sin. But God will use us as his children to speak to people and to say, listen, you know, the way that you're living, the things that you are, are, are doing that are outside of, of what God approves of, as far as God is concerned, it's sinful. And if you want to enter into God's kingdom or to live a life where in eternity with Jesus, you need to ask for forgiveness. You need to repent of your sins and you need to allow the Holy Spirit to come inside of you for you to know the Lord for yourself. This is scripture. But as I said, how often do we say these things to people? Because the way the world is moving right now, there's almost a fear within us, the children of God, to say these things. And as I said, these things are the bread and butter of God's kingdom. This is all part of kingdom lifestyle. So what are the standards of a kingdom lifestyle? And where are we at risk? Okay, to answer this question, it helps to, to, to look in the Bible and, and, and look at some um, examples of people of faith and how they've addressed the situation of compromise between the world that they live in and the kingdom of God, because all of us are in the same position. So from the time of BC until now, 2021, the contrast between the world and the kingdom of God is easier to see. Let's take Daniel in the Bible, for example. Daniel in the Old Testament, he lived a godly life, but he lived it in a very godless environment. So how did he do it? We look at an example in, in Daniel chapter one. By way of background, Daniel lived in a, um, he was in a Babylonian exile, the place of Babylon. He was robbed of his freedom at the time. He was forced into a, into a, what was called a finishing school. Uh, and Babylon, where he was, where he was residing at the time, was known as a, a city that was devoted to uh, materialism, um, people just indulged in whatever they wanted to. Very similar to Sodom and Gomorrah that, that, that uh, God destroyed. Very similar. And that's where Daniel was living as a child of God. Now the Babylon culture, in a sense, it tried to squeeze the godly life and identity out of Daniel. They were trying to re-educate him, trying to uh, um, get him to live in a way that was contrary to the things of God. One of the interesting things that they did was that they wanted to give him food that at the time, uh, as, a, as a child of God in those, at that time, it was food that was deemed as, uh, as being ungodly or, um, yeah, it was, it was food that was deemed to be uh, food that a child of God wouldn't eat. Now this was the culture at the time, so it's not, it's not the case now, but this was the culture at the time. And if you ate a particular type of food um, in, God's, in God's sight at, at that time, it was, it was deemed that uh, uh, unclean before God. 
So the Babylonian people were, in, were trying to encourage Daniel to partake of this food, to eat this food. Now on paper, the food was nice. It was, you know, meat-based food. And really, truly, Daniel could have, you know, gone to his room somewhere or, you know, or, you know, just decided, okay, you know what? Let me eat this food. Um, God, you know my heart. You know that I'm for you. You know, but for the sake of peace and for the sake of my life, I'll eat this food. But you know that, you know, um, you, I'm sure you understand um, as I eat it, but my heart is still for you. Now, Daniel could have prayed that prayer, spoken to God in that way, eaten the food. Um, and uh, the rest of the Babylonian people would have seen that, yeah, Daniel is now conforming to how we want him to be. But then maybe in Daniel's heart, Daniel could have thought, well, you know, Lord, I'll eat this food and I'm sure it's okay with you. But Daniel did not respond in that way because his commitment was to kingdom lifestyle. And as far as Daniel was concerned, eating meat, which at the time was something, or, or the type of meat they were offering him, which at the time was, was uh, contrary to uh, the culture of God's people. As far as Daniel was concerned, if he did so, it was as though he was spitting in God's face and he was dishonoring God. So instead, Daniel made a stand against the food and made it very clear that he would not eat this food. Now this is food. And we know that uh, because of where he was, that if he had disobeyed, generally speaking, you know, he, you know the people that were around him, the king uh, and, and the Babylonian people, potentially, if they saw that Daniel did not eat this food, with a click of a finger, his life could have been lost. But at the same time, between him and God, he could have said, Lord, you know what? I don't want my life to be lost. Let me just eat this food. You know I still you know I still want to serve you. You know I still I still love you and honor you. So I'll eat this food and it should be okay. But Daniel was willing to die for the sake of eating meat. Now it sounds insignificant, but this is kingdom lifestyle. Daniel was committed to honoring God, even down to the very food they ate. But let's quickly read it. Daniel chapter 1. I'm going to read very quickly from um, verse 8. It said, Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine that he drank. It says, so he sought permission from the command of the officials that he did not defile himself. It said, now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the command of the officials. And the command of the officials said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should, you, why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? That you would make me forfeit my head to the king. But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the command of the future to the point over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. So Daniel made a deal with the commander 
the commander was scared that if he didn't give him this food, that uh, the king would see that Daniel uh, and, and his colleagues uh, clearly were not eating their food because they would not be, uh, their appearance wise, they would not be look nourished. But the Bible said that God granted Daniel favor when he spoke to the commander and asked him, rather than giving me uh, the meat and the, and the wine, just give me vegetables. And the story goes on to say that when eventually the king saw him and, and, and the rest of his colleagues, all of them, they looked even more healthier than the ones who had eaten uh, the, the other uh, food, the choice food. But the important thing here is that because Daniel chose to, chose to honor God, I would say that he was granted favor and compassion in the sight of the commander. And there's an example here, because as you are deliberate in seeking God's kingdom first, God will grant you favor. There are times where we think that um, if we do something, if we make a stand when it comes to the things of God, either at work, with our family, if we speak about something to do with God, that by doing so, it's either going to bring a negative response or, you know, it's, it's going to be, uh, it's not going to be received well, or you're going to get in trouble for doing it, or you may be reprimanded for doing so. Because there's a risk element to it, then we don't do it. But this, this scripture is an example to us that as we put God's kingdom first, and as we're deliberate to demonstrate God's lifestyle, God will favor you. God will cause those around you to grant you favor. Because it is God's will that we seek his kingdom first. Daniel was honored. His colleagues were honored because they sought God's kingdom first. They didn't go ahead and compromise by eating uh, a food that they knew at that time that was dishonorable of the child of God. But God honored them because of their commitment to living a kingdom lifestyle. The Bible goes on to say that, that in the end, that the result of what happened that Daniel and his colleagues, that they came top of their class in all the things that they did. He said that when they entered the royal service, they said they excelled, all of them. And in fact, it was the first of three tests that Daniel was given with regards to demonstrating kingdom lifestyle. And all of these tests Daniel passed second test that Daniel was given was when him and his friend refused to worship Nebuchadnezzar's image. This is in Daniel chapter 3. As we know that story, Nebuchadnezzar created this, this uh, um, golden image and they were told, everybody was told that they need to worship this image. Again, Daniel could have made, it, made a, 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 a small prayer to God and said, God, you know what? They're going to kill us. So let me just quickly bow. Let me bow to this image. But you know really in my heart that I worship you. But again, Daniel made a stand that said, there's no way I'm not worshipping any image. I only worship God. And in doing so, again, God favoured him. 
the third test that Daniel was given. is when uh, King Darius made a decree that if anyone was to pray uh, to any other God other than to the king himself, that they'll be thrown into the lion's den. The Bible made it very clear that Daniel had a ritual of praying at different times during the day. So they knew that by putting this decree in play, that potentially that Daniel obviously would be thrown into the lion's den. So again, Daniel could have compromised and said, you know, okay, you know, let me change my pattern. They put this in play. Let me just pray to their God to appease them. I will still have my life. But God, you know that I worship you alone. Sometimes that is how we respond. But Daniel has set the example because of the kingdom lifestyle, because of the priority that he demonstrated in putting God's kingdom first. Again, he told them, and he made it very clear that he will continue to pray in the way that he'd always prayed. And that's exactly what he did. And in Matthew chapter six, just by way of reminder, this is what happened. Daniel six was 23 to 27. In fact, this was after Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. So just by way of background. So Daniel disobeyed the order of the king, carried on praying, prayed in a way that he normally prayed. The commanders came and saw him praying. They told the king that uh, Daniel has disobeyed your rule. And actually the king, if you read the scriptures, the king actually liked Daniel from before. But because of the decree that he made, that anyone who prayed to their God and not to him will be thrown into the lion's den. He had to obey the rule that he gave. And unfortunately, against his wishes, he had to throw Daniel into the lion's den. But this is what it said in Daniel chapter 6, verse 20, 23 to 27. So the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. So this was this was this is an account when Daniel obviously was so before I before the scripture Daniel was already thrown into the lion's den. As far as the king was concerned, the lions had finished him. The lions had destroyed him. So said so the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the lion's den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, said no wound was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. Let me say that again. No wound was found on Daniel because he had trusted in his God. Verse 24. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought, brought in and they were thrown in the lion's den along with their wives and their children. And look at this. And before they even reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the people's nations and the men of every language throughout the land. And he said this. He said, may you prosper greatly. Verse 26. It says, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear 
and reverence the God of Daniel. Look at that. This is somebody who gave a decree, even though that it wasn't in his heart, but he gave a decree in his, in, in his kingdom that if anybody worshipped any other God apart from praying to him, almost as though he made himself into a God because he wanted people to pray to him. If anybody did so, they referred it to the lion's den. But because of how God was working on him through Daniel's obedience and commitment to the kingdom of God. Remember, he had three tests, Daniel. He passed the first test. He passed the test when it came to uh, uh, refusing to, to worship uh, um, the, the image. The first test he passed was when he didn't uh, eat the, 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 you know, the food that was uh, given to him. Those two tests he passed. This same king was aware of him passing those tests. And God was doing a work within him because he was seeing that. There's something about this guy that he's so committed to, to serving his God. What is it about his God that he, he will literally give his life, put his life on the line in order to honor his God? And then the final test was it was the test that this own king gave to Daniel. Even though he was deceived by his own men into, uh, into making such a decree. But God changed it around. And as I said in verse 26, this same king who gave this decree then made another decree saying, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, that's unheard of. It says, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. This is King Darius that's saying these things. He's saying that God, that he's the living God, that he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. And I say this to you, and I echo the words of King Darius, that when it comes to your life, that he is the living God, that he endures forever. His kingdom, God's kingdom in your life, if you live in it, you embrace it, will not be destroyed. And his dominion will never end. You know, this, this story, what shall I say, all these stories in Daniel, all the three tests that he, uh, he went through and he passed with flying colors. These are all examples to us that when it comes to you and your life and how you are living God's kingdom, the enemy is always going to bring ways for you to compromise. He will always bring things to you to make you either take a step back or to shy away from the things of God. Because kingdom lifestyle is lifestyle. In other words, it's how you live your life as a child of God. So I want to ask you this morning, how are you living your life? How are you demonstrating God's kingdom in your life? Because the example that Daniel gave is an example that we are all encouraged to follow. You know, we're now in 2021. 
there's going to be so many reasons, so many, uh, not reasons, so many uh, opportunities, shall I say, to compromise when it comes to the kingdom of God, especially in a secret place where nobody's watching, when it's just you and God, when it's just you and your decisions, it's just you and your mindset. But we encourage to be like Daniel and to be uncompromising. To have a heart that seeks to put the kingdom of God first. Just as I said before, in the uh, the example that I gave as to what the kingdom of God is, when they asked Jesus, what is the kingdom of God? He said, it's like a mustard seed. That when a man planted it in the garden, that it grew into a tree that the birds uh, rested on. God's kingdom, as we live it, will be as a tree to you. And if you allow him to, that tree will give you the oxygen that you need to function. As I said before, trees produce oxygen. They give protection. They give shelter. And as we sow into God's kingdom, by living God's kingdom, all the benefits that God has, all the blessings that God wants to give to you, he will give to you. But the key starts with us, daily living a kingdom lifestyle. But also making sure that we do not compromise on the things that concern our lives. And with that, I want to pray. You know, this example of Daniel has really spoken to me as I was preparing for this word. Because as this year will continue, I really sense that the enemy is really going to try and bring a lot, a lot of different opportunities and different things to cause us to compromise on the things of God. Uh, guys, apologies again. I'm having some technical problems with the Wi-Fi. Hopefully you can hear me now. So yeah, let me just conclude that prayer. So Father, we just want to thank you again. We pray, oh God, that Lord, that you will touch all your people. As we ask for your forgiveness, we pray that you'll give us a zeal and a hunger to advance your kingdom, to seek your kingdom and your righteousness first. So Lord, have your way, we pray in Jesus' name.